over a, a 30 year time frame owning a home, this is a small blip in the radar that's a minor inconvenience. It doesn't feel like that when you're going through it, but I remind myself of that a lot. This doesn't mean that owning real estate isn't gonna build wealth or that it's a bad idea. It is an inconvenience. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents in our industry hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Pat Hyman, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, you guys have been asking for me to get this guy back on here. You know, it was just maybe a month or two ago, he made some pretty bold predictions. And now a lot of our state of the market news has said that back. So good friend of mine, David Green, back on the podcast. You know, David is also, he's one of the co-hosts of the Bigger Pockets podcast, the biggest, you know, real estate investing podcast out there. We like to say we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, but we know Bigger Pockets is the biggest one out there for investors and also a good friend of mine. David, how's it going? What's up, Aaron? It's going great. Other than California being on fire and choking on all this ash and our firefighters out there working super hard, business is going really good, but our state's in some trouble. Yeah, no one is saying defund the firefighters right now. I mean, <laughs> geez, gee, they are working so freaking hard. We were, um, we, though, two weeks ago, we were in, in uh, South Dakota, you know, Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. We had an awesome time. My daughter broke her ankle. And we realized we were going to have to postpone our RV trip. So we hightailed it over to our house you know, in Loomis, which is near Sacramento. And I tell you what, I had heard that there was fire and smoke. And there is just smoke everywhere. And the, uh, you know, we're doing a, like a GoBundance get-together at our house in a week that I'm hoping you can come up for. But I'm just hoping the smoke just kind of dies down. When I send out the invite, I'm like, if it's just kind of smoky, everyone will be swimming and playing basketball. It'll be great. But there's... And there's ash like all over my patio. Like I don't think I'm yeah. within 50 miles of a fire or 100 miles, but there's like ash everywhere. It's like it snowed. It's kind of amazing how much these big fires, like how geographically large of an area they will cover. It's like almost the whole state from a couple of different places that are having these fires. Yeah, your car is totally covered in ash. You can't, the sun looks just like a red globe in the sky. So weird. And now it's happening in Oregon. So we've been pretty used to this happening once a year in California ever since I've lived here. Every year there'd be a fire. Sometimes we'd have smoke for a week or two. Sometimes it's for a month. We'd have to cancel soccer practices and games. I used to coach a lot of soccer yeah. teams. But now, but right now they also have them in Oregon. And Oregon hasn't really seen that much before. And so it's it's like I know I think I'm sure we're getting a little extra smoke. So the so what city are you at out in the Bay Area? I live in Discovery Bay. My real estate office is in Brentwood, and I represent clients from the South Bay, Silicon Valley, to the East Bay, to San Francisco, and then up in your area in Sacramento. Yeah, I've met some of your team members over here and seen a bunch of the kind of the marketing and some of the get-togethers that you guys have done up here. The uh, I really liked one of the presentations you guys did for local people was like about investing in certain areas in Sacramento and some other stuff. And pretty cool info. You guys are out there really trying to provide a ton of value for people and advice. And anyway, that's uh, it, it's funny. So one of the things that you talked about on here a while back was you said people are going to be leaving the cities and moving to the suburbs, right? People are going to be leaving oh, yeah. the cities, moving to the suburbs because of COVID, you know, and this was, and this was you and me doing this interview. I think it was in April or May 
mm-hmm. um, that it was how people were going to be changing their philosophy. And now everybody's been listening to my state of the markets. They've heard that over the last couple of weeks, you know, San Francisco is the only city in the country that has like twice the inventory they had a year ago where inventory is actually going up because so many people are leaving. There was an article that I read yesterday that I put on the state of the market that, you know, 2 million renters are leaving the cities with the potential to buy houses now, you know, 30 miles out of the city because they can, you know, work remotely. What has been, so I want to just ask you what all your predictions are since you got, <laughs> since you hit that one. So, right. But what, so what do you think about that with the, with the city stuff? Cause you're out there closer to the Bay area. Are you seeing, are you talking to many people that that's part of the demand? Are you seeing people like, like fleeing San, the news is like people are fleeing San Francisco. Does it feel like that? No, it doesn't feel like that. And, and, you know, I'll take it a step further. You read a lot of the news that people are overall fleeing California. There are a lot of people that are leaving here. And in spite of that, this is the hottest market I've ever seen. You know, I hear a lot of of buyers that say, Hey, David, everyone's leaving California. Do you think I should wait and not buy? And I'll say we, it would help us because it'll just put more listings on the market that we desperately need. And now they're not buyers that are also competing for the other listings. They're, they're buying in another state. California has such a strong economy at this point and opportunity and desire to live in that even with everybody that's exiting, often for political reasons, there's still not enough housing to meet the demands that we have. So the people that are fleeing San Francisco, as is being said, they're not necessarily fleeing the city of San Francisco. They are often fleeing the condominiums and the townhomes and the the parts where you paid for a location and proximity to amenities that are now shut down. We've been shut down for so long that all the restaurants are closed, all the bars are closed, all the clubs are closed. The things that people wanted to have proximity to in San Francisco aren't there. So a lot of those people are going into the single family homes. They're going to the East Bay where they can get a bigger house, or they're actually buying in San Francisco to buy a single family house. It's still very competitive to get single family homes in San Francisco. A lot of those numbers are misrepresented when they say that there's twice as much product on the market. You could have had an extreme shortage. You have twice as much out there. That, that is twice as much that you now have, but it's still not very much. And almost all of it you're going to find is in the condo space, not the single family homes. Yeah, that's it. you're right. It's like if 20 people are sharing a half a pizza or a pizza, there still wasn't enough, uh, enough for them out there. So the, it's, a, it's a good point to say, yeah, in one sentence, it's like, oh, there's so many, you know, there's so much more inventory there. But what you're seeing is there's still a high demand. It's still San Francisco. People soon will forget about the smoke and the and right, politics is that big driver. And I think the when people leave plate, when people do things for political reasons, it does hit the news a lot. And so, you know, realizing that you still want to look at the numbers and see how many people are in fact leaving, you know, I feel like there is a big opportunity for agents to find, you know, the, the people that were working downtown, you know, people that are making, you know, 50,000, 60,000, $100,000 a year, they were working in offices inside cities, but they couldn't afford to live inside cities because it just about any city you pick, like you're picking Denver, or you're picking Austin, Texas, or San Francisco or LA you know, owning, you can't own a house in the city without paying, you know, millions, two million, something plus people could get condos. But now if people actually want a house and somebody can work from home now, they're saying, just like you said, they're leaving the city. They're going to East Bay. Have you had, um, so right now, how big is your team that you're running out there? It's there's me and one agent, Kyle, he's out in your area in Roseville that are doing most of our production. I have two other agents that are on the team that function primarily as showing assistance for my clients. So we have a total of four agents and three admin. 
Yeah. And the, and so right now, are you seeing many, are you, are you having people, clients yet that are moving from San Francisco saying, Hey, they want to go to the East Bay where your stuff is. And they're almost all people that have condos in San Francisco and they want to move to the East Bay where they can get a bigger house. I've noticed that like for agents that want to generate business, most of them are, have been geared towards thinking I have to buy a lead from somewhere else. And part of what I don't like about that model is that the phrase lead is used so liberally not everything that's called a lead is a lead. Like if you said, hey, David, I have a lead for you. What I'm expecting you to say is my buddy Frank needs to sell his house. I told him to use you, give him a call. Yeah, uh, Buying a lead can be you and six other realtors got a name and a phone number of somebody that was forced to register on a website that has zero interest in selling their house. They just wanted to know what the market looks like. And you're trying to convince this person to buy a much better strategy that I'll use, like most of the clients that I have, they come out of natural conversations with people and I'll just ask them, how do you like about where you live? And they'll tell you, I hate it. Everything's shut down. I'm cramped up in this tiny space. I wish that I wouldn't have bought this condo or, you know, I really like my house, but I really don't like the area. The commute is way worse than what I thought. And my house has gone up $70,000, but this commute to work is killing me. And then I will say, well, if you could get out of that spot into a spot you'd rather have and not have your payment change very much, would you be open to talking about that? Everybody will say yes. And your ability to tell a story or really paint a picture of what it could look like to get out of a spot they don't like and into a spot they do is a wildly important skill to develop as a real estate agent. You're basically in that conversation, giving them permission to sell their house and go buy another one and probably picking up both sides. And so many people get stuck on this buy a lead, buy a lead, call a FISBO, call an expired, right? Just take the same path that every other agent has been told to take, that they're missing out on opportunities that they could be helping their aunts, their cousins, their sisters, their friends who don't like where they're living or don't like the house that they're living in or just want to save money. Maybe they want a house hack that's going right over their heads. They're missing those shots. Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Muchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyben. Now, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, and in there too, he talked a lot about his Six Steps for Seven Figures book and training program that he built over the last couple years. And I realized I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day to day basis. You get email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. You find that you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com. Look at courses. You can find the six steps for seven figures book. And really, there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too. Our normal prices used to be $1,500 or $2,000 a course. These are real deal professional courses. But now uh, during quarantine, a lot of them are priced down to like 90 bucks, 95 bucks. So we've slashed the prices so we know right now is the time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education, especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do. And if you go in there and you figure like there's a lot of different courses you want, Maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte. You can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option you can pay. You get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University. 
for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. You talk about like just providing value, just very simply providing value, being able to have a conversation with somebody and say, Hey, how's, how's everything going? How do you like your house? Mm-hmm. And the, and especially with people that are in the cities where everything, because in, in a lot of cities, I mean, we've been through a lot of States now and in, and even in the States where there's very little shutdowns happening in the, in the most dense cities, there still is. Right. And so if you're talking to people in the cities, probably throughout a lot of the U S a lot of stuff is shut down. And as you just get 20 miles outside, restaurants are open and, and bars are, things are, things are functioning. And so being able to say, Hey, how, how do you like your house? How do you like what's going on? And if they say there isn't, it's saying, I bet you didn't know that right now you could get like, what do you wish you had? What do you wish you had and said, Oh, I wish there I had more go. room. I wish I had a yard. Oh, you know what? I bet you can actually get that now. I bet mm-hmm. what's crazy is the, now that you can work from home, you can work anywhere. You know, why aren't you thinking about this? And the, and instead, and it really is like a soft sale. Like you said, you're giving them permission uh, to be able to make that adjustment. You know, there's a few things in the news over the last couple of days that were pretty big to me that, you know, I said foreclosures, no foreclosures now until the end of the year and no evictions until the end of the year. And then in California, the governor extended and he said no evictions until February. And so we actually had an eviction for a tenant in Texas that we that we were had already got a writ on, you know, the, it was supposed to be that t- today they were going to be moving out. And there was a notice sent to us from the judge that said, Hey, because of this new federal uh, law, your writ has now been moved to January 4th. All right. So you're talking January 4th, 2021. That's what is it? October, November, December. That's four months from now, the person that hadn't paid rent for a couple months. And now they know not only did, did, you know, we win the eviction, um, but now they know they could stay there for four months. I mean, what's to stop somebody from just trashing that thing from here on? So what, do you think that, how do you think that those two things are going to affect, you know, lenders, landlords? Does it make you want to be a landlord less? I mean, it reminds me of the cash for keys that we used to do when we would buy foreclosures and we would literally, you know, pay squatters thousands of dollars to leave you know, making a business decision and, hey, I'll pay you thousands of dollars to leave my property, even though they don't have a right to stay there. Do you think that's going to start happening again? What do you, what do you think about all that? I think there's a lot of that where I live that already happens. There's a lot, people just immediately assume cash for keys. Hey, I want to sell my house. My tenants live in it. How much do you think I have to get up, pay them to get them to leave? Hmm. And I'll say, well, have you asked them if they want to leave? No, I, I thought I had to give them cash because they would Say, what if they don't, what if they were planning on leaving anyways? What if they, you know, they'd be happy with $800 to cover their moving expenses and a month to find another place to stay. I don't automatically go to the cash for keys model. It's very frustrating in those rare circumstances where you have to pay a squatter who has no right to be in your house to get them to leave. I agree with you that, especially as a former law enforcement officer, if you're not following the rules, there should be a consequence for you. There shouldn't be a consequence for me, but in many of the areas that we live in, that's just not the common way that culturally people are looking at these problems. I like to remind myself when you're in this position, like you're in the perfect storm, a pandemic rules came out that said you can't evict somebody like the CDC came out with some of that saying it will spread COVID if people are forced to leave their house, uh, stay there. So you can't evict over a, a 30 year time frame owning a home, this is a small blip in the radar that's a minor inconvenience. It doesn't feel like that when you're going through it, but I remind myself of that a lot. This doesn't mean that owning real estate 
isn't going to build wealth or that it's a bad idea. It is an inconvenience. And the advice that I'm giving people, because I get this a lot from hosting bigger pockets, there's a lot of people that come to me and say, What should I do? Here's my situation. I think as a landlord, or if you're an agent and you're advising one of your landlord clients, it's communicating to the tenant very clearly and non threatening, just very directly. You can stay until February and I can't evict you. You can get three to four months of delayed rent out of me, but I'm going to get that rent back from you. And they'll probably say, how? You say, you're not actually avoiding an eviction. You are delaying an eviction. If you do this, I will get a judgment against you in court. I will garnish your wages at the next job you go to. Everyone that looks you up and does a, a search, uh, a background search on you will see there's a judgment that you don't pay your debt. You will not be able to rent from another landlord because they're going to know that you have an eviction on your credit report. If you can't pay, I totally understand. You need to willingly leave. You need to move in with a friend, with a family member. You have to do something. You can't force me to kick you out. I think that that is another misconception that Anytime a tenant breaks their lease, that's an eviction. It's not. If they willingly go, it saves you a ton of money as the owner. An eviction is a forced vacancy. You have to take legal action and literally require the sheriff's office to come in and make that person go. And if, if tenants are hearing on the news, you're a victim, these greedy landlords are making you pay, you don't have to leave, many of them assume that means there are no consequences for forcing an eviction. I advise landlords, tell them, it's just three to four months of you know, interest-free living here, but the bill is going to come due. You will get an eviction on your record. You will still have to pay that money. You're not actually avoiding this. Let's work together so that I don't have to put an eviction on your record. You can now rent from someone else at some point, and I don't have to go through this really cumbersome process and expensive process of an eviction. I think if more of us could communicate that better, you would see less tenants that were actually forcing the hand of the landlord. Yeah, I think that it's, it's great advice right now because it's, it's something to remember as laws happen, it's really easy to start to feel powerless. You know, as I, I had interviewed an agent this week that they had shut down, you know, real estate in his city, but he had just bought another office. And he was like, I couldn't shut down, you know, two weeks after I bought another office, we had to keep going. And so he said, we found ways to do it and ways to market and ways to, you know, within guidelines. He said, we, you know, we, we walked the line a little bit. But, the, but there's kind of two mindsets when stuff happens. People can use, you can use something as an excuse to say, hey, it's not my fault, so now I'm not going to do anything. Or you could say, hey, what, what can I do here? And, the, and that's a great reminder for me that I need to talk to my property management team about out there for the, these new ones that are coming due where it's like, so now he's been given the notice that he can stay till January 4th, getting to go have those conversations. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it also means that if someone's going to, if people can work a little harder, there are other options than just waiting until January, waiting for a resident to trash a property yes. and, you know, and, and really kind of push it all the way there. The, do you think that lenders are going to be, so let's say there's a year where people don't pay their mortgage. Do you think lenders are going to be less likely to lend? You think that, the, or you think there's going to be bailouts? I mean, and this is just straight conjecture, but part of me goes, the problem with no fear of, of foreclosure is more and more people might not pay their rent and then get themselves where they're too far behind. So do you think the government will have to do bailouts for lenders to want to lend again? 
I think the government is going to do bailouts if lenders stop lending. A lot of people don't understand how the lending world and the government are tied together. I'm a, I'm a mortgage broker now, not just a real estate broker. So I've learned quite a bit more about the lending world. When a mortgage broker originates a loan, they then sell that loan to somebody else so that they can get money back to lend to the next person. A lot of people don't like the idea of their loan being sold, but if that didn't happen, you'd pay a lot more money for your loan. That It keeps money flowing in. And then eventually that those loans end up uh, being owned by Fannie, and, uh, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, which are government-sponsored enterprises that buy these loans and insure them as mortgage-backed securities on the stock market. So when people don't pay their mortgage, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac tend to come in and, and they basically bail everybody out so that loans keep getting made. I think that if we see something that really disrupts the typical lending industry, like a lot of foreclosures that all happen again, they will, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will tweak their guidelines. And every mortgage broker that originates a loan does it to those guidelines because that's who's ultimately going to be buying the property. So I can see scenarios where your type of occupation is given a rating, like how risky it is. So if you work in uh, for a company like Tesla, maybe you're considered less risky. Whereas if you work for the post office where we're hearing all this talk that they may get rid of it, you're considered more risky. And so it's not just your credit score, but your occupation's actually given a rating as we see like, well, this industry is severely affected by a government shutdown. This one's not. So for these people, they can get a better score. Or for these people, they have to have a higher down payment if they work in an industry that's riskier for the lender. I, I don't think that will happen on its own. I think like most things will react and respond when something goes wrong. It's not until something goes wrong that everyone says, okay, how do we stop this from happening? And they come up with a new plan. That's something I would expect to see. It's hard for me to see lenders actually saying you can't put 3% down anymore or 5% down. You have to put down more just because the government is now tied to the lending industry and they would look at that like discriminatory. Oh, you're saying these people can't buy a house just because they don't have 20%. That's yeah. discriminating against a certain people group. So because those two worlds are tied together, I don't think that's likely to happen. Hey, real estate rockstars listeners. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but I want to do a quick commercial break, but this commercial break is different. This is stuff that I think you need. And this is me talking to you about some of the stuff that we had. So, you know, recently we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, Hey, why don't you do a real estate mastermind? Why don't you do something where a lot of the listeners can get together and do some zoom calls and ask each other questions and really just try to brainstorm and work together. I mean, there's a million masterminds out there. I don't know if this is something that we really want to do or not, or if we do, if we're going to limit it to maybe 20 or 30 people, we're just trying to figure out if any of you guys are interested. So if you have any interest at all in joining a mastermind with real estate agents around the country that are part of the real estate rock stars network, go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind and just join the wait list. It's just a really a formal, it's just an interest list for us to see, is this something we want to be doing? So that's, that's number one. Number two, you go to hybendigital.com forward slash foreclosures. We have a two day thing that we just finished recording. Now it's also inside Rebus University. And so you can go to Rebus University and look at it. If you're already a member of Rebus, I mean, a lot of you guys are in the, you know, the monthly fee where you get access to everything. So we have a new course in there, 17 hours of content on how to buy foreclosures, on how to find deals, on how to you know do title, you know go to auction, also turn that into clients for your real estate agents, how you can turn somebody that's in default behind on their mortgages into a client. So go you know, check out that course, especially for, you know, you can, you can buy the course now, but again, most of you guys already subscribed to all that. I just wanted you to know there's another 17 hours of content, great, great content that I just recorded on there 
uh, that all of you guys have access to now at Rebus University. And then finally, we have software that we talk about on and off. It's called PadHawk. And in PadHawk, you can use that to go find leads. What, you know, everyone is really, really busy right now. And we're so, so busy. People are selling and they're saying there isn't enough product on the market. Right, so they're, they're, they can't find houses. Well, Paddock will help you find houses before they're listed. It helps you find owners that should be listing their properties or people that might want to get there. I recorded a quick video. It's like six or seven minutes long for you guys to look at, real estate agent specific, on what how you can use the software in order to do it. So let's go to hybendigital.com forward slash leads. Again, there's a video in there. I talk about how you can use the software to do it. Check it out. If it's something that you like, you may want to sign up for it. 99 bucks a month, but nationwide, any city out there, and it is a great way to find houses. So right now, people are saying there's lots of buyers, but we can't find enough houses. Well, maybe you can use this software. You'll find something that hasn't listed yet and make them an offer on their house. All right, back to your regularly scheduled program. Thank you for letting me interrupt you with that break. Yeah, the that's that's true. The anti discrimination, especially in predatory stuff in lending and in housing, there are that probably does stop you know true market action from happening. Where if people were truly making the decision based on supply demand and business metrics, it'd be a little different. You know, I had a I had a couple questions. Come, I had a bunch of people message me on Instagram this week, kind of asking for different advice, and the and it was from the Bigger Pockets interview that that I did with you and, and Brandon and David. Osborne a couple weeks ago. And, and this guy reaches out to me, he says, I'm currently working uh, construction industry, working in heavy civil construction. You know, his dad owns a small residential company as well. Construction is in his blood. Real estate gets him super excited. You know, he's ready to take a leap into real estate investing, but he's stuck. Where he lives, houses are really expensive. So he's leaning toward out-of-state investing, but he's not sure where to pull the trigger. How does he start? And I wanted to ask you that, right? So the, that's obviously a very loaded, tough question, but you were doing a lot of that. You were a mm-hmm. police officer in the Bay Area and you were buying houses out of state to start investing in them. I think, and when I met you, the first time you and I got to hang out, you were still a full-time police officer, but you were also an investor. You were making more money through investing that we were like, dude, why are you still going and getting shot at? Just take your investments. <laughs> but, it, but it still seemed like you were still an officer for a while after that. Yeah. But, um, so what, what advice would you give somebody that says, hey, I love this stuff. I'm in construction. Now, one of the ideas, if you're in construction, then, then you want to be local. But so does ha- construction knowledge doesn't help you as much if you're doing something out of state. But if somebody really wants to pull the trigger and he's living in an expensive area, what advice would you give them? That's a really good point you made. As, as you were talking, I was trying to piece together how I would advise this person specifically. And I like that you pointed out that it won't be the same advice that I give to somebody else who says, I'm a software engineer and I can't afford where I live. I want to buy out of state. Because you got to look at your own unique skill set where you're strong. And if this person loves construction, he's going to feel a lot more comfortable when he's doing the work on the property. So that is a, it's like a superpower he has that doesn't apply if he goes invest out of state. Now, I wrote that book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, because that's how I did it. My strength was numbers, uh, maybe the creative ability to look at a property and see how it could better be used. And then the ability to just work seven days a week and save up money so I could go invest in other areas. Then I got really good with systems. So I was able to burr out of state properties. But that's why I took that road. That doesn't mean everyone should take that road. If he has a unique ability to rehab properties for less uh, or manage that project better, as you and I both know, Aaron, that's a huge, huge risk factor in buying properties is how that 
rehab goes. He should be looking local. So what I would say, and this is the same thing I tell all my clients that are in the Bay Area, especially the Bay Area, sometimes Sacramento, but definitely the Bay. They know to look for properties that are close to the 1% rule. So that means if it rents for 1% of the property's value every single month, it's probably going to cash flow. And when you get into higher price points, you, get, you can get a lot more loose with the 1% rule. So if you buy a property for a million dollars, but it brings in $6,500 a month, that's not 1%. It would have to bring in $10,000 a month to be 1%. But 6,500 will still most likely cash flow in the million dollar price range. It will not work in the $50,000 price range. It's got to be 500 a month when you get there. What we do is we look for properties that other people are missing. And that's the advice I would give to this person. If you're, if you're wanting to end up ultimately with a rental property, we're assuming this isn't a flip. If it's a flip, an expensive market's better. You have more meat on the bone for the same work. He needs to look for something that has more than one unit that can be rented out. Now, the obvious answer is go find a duplex, go find a triplex. Those are, those are there. There's just a lot less of them. So what we do is we look for houses with uh, basements that need to be finished with ADUs that are not being used right now, with unpermitted square footage that was added that was done safely, but it's not included on the tax record. So the agent advertises the house as 1,300 square feet, but really it's 2,100 square feet. That this contractor who understands the permit process, who understands the construction process, can buy this 2,100 square foot house, make that unused square footage a part of the actual tax assessor square footage, and they can sell it for more, or maybe convert the unused square footage into a separate unit, run plumbing, run, run the electrical, put up some drywall, turn that into what's basically function as two different units that can now be rented out and still cash flow. You can easily do that in an expensive market if you have an eye and you know what you're looking for. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that part of the advice because it's really easy, especially for people in expensive markets to say, hey, I'm going to go to this other state. Rentals are doing really good over there. And that's, I mean, ultimately, that's why I live most of my time in Texas now instead of California, mm-hmm. because I was able to find cash flowing rentals in Texas more than I could find in California. But at the time, I was looking for something different, right? I was looking for uh, you know, long-term rentals, and I really like systems. And my, the systems I was trying to find was places that needed not very much construction work. I wanted something that was simple construction that I could do over the phone, 10,000 bucks, take a week, something like that. And so I needed to go over there. But for somebody that really, really likes construction and knows the permits, I love that. You know, Even in your local area where it's really expensive, you have to go find the ones with the value, find the ones that need major, major fixing, the unpermitted stuff, you know, the errors, the, the, the stuff that, that gets, that's kind of that unique idea. And then the other thing that you said was an expensive market is better for flipping. And so I think a lot of people, you know, you might, it, it'll take, it'll be harder to get investors and partners and loans and things like that. But a lot of people think about that. If I flip a house in Texas, if I buy it for a hundred thousand and I make 10% profit on it, we work on it for a month, we work really hard and we make $10,000. Right, but if you do it for a five hundred thousand dollar house or six hundred thousand dollar house in California, it's the same amount of work, but the profit is fifty thousand or sixty thousand. And so, don't if you're going to flip houses out there, don't let that discourage you. You know, don't let price discourage you. Figure out what your strengths are. And the I really like that advice from David. If your if your if your strength is going to be analysis and spreadsheets and stuff like that then yeah, go find the places where it's easier because you can hire teams. If your strength is construction, get to do that. I love that answer. Real estate rock stars. Hey, I need to jump in. You know, so when David and I first started interviewing this, we did not know that we were going to go so long with so much content. 
but we ended up chatting for about an hour and a half. So what, what I'm going to do here is we are cutting this podcast in half. So the if you've made it through it, we it, we got it, found a good stopping point in here. We got to answer some viewer questions, and you know, come back in just a few days. We'll see the second half of this podcast as it goes out, and the and the second half we go into more about building teams, you know, how to hire people, how to add these ancillary businesses, or how to find the right team if you're just a new agent trying to find what you're good at and where you want to focus. Hey, you guys also noticed that we went through and we took questions from Instagram and answered them live on here for strategy. So if you have questions about anything, now the ones today were about like investing, but if you have questions about how to get more listings, you know, what you should do in your market, what you're trying, it's not working. Come on to Instagram, ask me those questions. And next time I have David on here, we will answer them live and see what we can do for you. So again, so thanks for listening to the first half of this episode. Come back in a few days for the other half of it. And thank you for being a Real Estate Rockstars listener. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger, yes, the one finger that points at people, and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on the million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.